Hey everybody, my name is Sean Hussey. This is Cold Brews and Catholic Truths. I'm so glad you joined us today. Uh, I got an awesome episode planned for you today. We're going to be talking about the Word of God. The Word of God. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the Word of God and sacred tradition. And I have just an unbelievable guest here joining me today, uh, Gary Machuda. Gary Machuda, he is an uh, expert Catholic apologist and speaker and author. He's been doing this for many years. He's written several books. He's got an awesome radio show. Uh, he's got a lot of great things going on. Uh, so glad to have Gary on on the podcast again. Gary, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm honored. Yeah, well, it's so good to have you on. For for those who uh, uh, have maybe been following this podcast for a while, you'll, you might recognize Gary. Uh, he has been on before to talk about the Deuterocanon. So if you're interested in looking back to that episode, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to include a link in the description below. Also, just before we get started here, and I want to get into it pretty quickly, but before we get started, I just want to let you know that if you want to find out more about, um, you know, the, the great work that, that Gary is, is doing for the Lord, the things that he's done, um, I'm going to include um, some links in the description below that'll have his website, um, you know, uh, books that he's written, you know, upcoming books that are even coming out, things like that. So definitely, definitely if you're watching right now or, or if you're listening, look in the, the show notes and then you can click on uh, on some of that information to learn more about Gary and some of the work that he's doing. All right, so let's talk about tradition. Okay, let's talk about the Word of God. This episode in particular is going to be focused on, on sacred tradition. Gary, I think when people hear the phrase, the Word of God, immediately they think Scripture, right? Even Catholics, mm -hmm. when they hear the Word of God, they equate the Word of God with, with Scripture. Um, and of course, it is. Of course, Scripture is the Word of God, but I think this episode, the focus is going to be talking certainly about Scripture, um, but maybe tradition as a whole, uh, and, and what role that plays in our life as Christians, and what role that is play, plays in Catholic theology. So maybe just a, a good starting point, Gary, then, would just be to talk about uh, what exactly is tradition? What are Catholics talking about when they're bringing up this word tradition? Awesome. Yeah, that's, a, that's the best place to start. What is sacred tradition? Um, well, let's define terms. Uh, okay. First, tradition see, it comes from the Latin word tradere. In Greek, it's paradosis. It just means to hand on something or hand over something. It, it's a totally neutral term. It's neither positive or negative. It's just something handed on. In fact, in the New Testament, when Judas hands over Jesus, the word there is actually traditions Jesus. Okay, So it just hmm. means passing on. Interesting. So... Uh, What's important is the modifier sacred, because when you put sacred, sacred means that it comes from a divine source. Hmm. So when Catholics talk about sacred tradition, what they're talking about is something that's divinely uh, has its origin in God. It's revealed by God and it's handed on hmm. to uh, to us. And that's really important because it enables us to make a distinction between things that are handed on that are just of human origin, like human traditions, like mm. uh, eating turkey on Thanksgiving or, you know, uh, mm. some other tradition like that uh, versus sacred tradition, which mm. means that this is something that through the inspiration of God has been handed on to the church. And therefore, it has um, binding authority. So, yeah, so the origin then is uh, is is divine. The, the, the origin of sacred tradition is divine. That's where the sacred come from. I think whenever, I mean, whenever I hear the word tradition, I mean, of course, I've heard this as a Catholic for a while now, so I immediately think of 
apostolic tradition, sacred tradition, but just the word tradition itself, I think to our modern ears, I think it is easy just to think, Gary, of things like, uh, yeah, like Thanksgiving traditions and like these different like customs and practices that may, maybe make up our family life. So when we start talking about traditions within the church, I think there's a lot of people that start to get a little suspicious of those because they're like, well, why would we place so much value in, in tradition, things that have just been passed on? Um, in other words, like how could we trust uh, tradition at all? Yeah, yeah, I know. And especially nowadays, you know, it seems like whatever's old is obsolete. Everybody's used yeah. to 2.0 being better than 1.0. Hmm. So, you know, I've had people say, you know, that you Catholics hold on to tradition, but, you know, you need to get out of the Middle Ages and be updated. Hmm. But like I said, really, the, the dividing point is between sacred tradition and uh, just pure human tradition. So, uh, well, okay. you know, if you want to jump to the trustworthiness, you know, I should also point this out, Sean. This is yeah, a real important point. Like you mentioned, the word of God is mm. handed on to us. So it's tradition to us, right? Okay. Um, uh. And um, like, for example, in First Thessalonians 2.13, it's interesting. Paul says that when you receive the word of God from hearing us, he received it not as a human word, but as it is in truth, the word of God. So he hands on the word of God and the word of God is handed on through two vehicles. Okay. Hmm. In second Thessalonians 3.15, he says, therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught. Okay. So he's saying to the Thessalonians, hold on to hmm. this. He's commanding them that this is something that you are not allowed to let go either through an oral statement or a letter of ours. In mm. other words, the word of God is a larger category through which it comes down to us both in writing and also through apostolic instruction. Hmm. So uh, when you're saying, you know, is tradition trustworthy? You have to also bring into the question, is scripture trustworthy? Because scripture is sacred tradition as well. The difference is it's inspired writing as opposed to just a body of instruction. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm glad you kind of went back a little bit, too, because that's kind of how I started this episode and talking about, you know, is, is Scripture, you know, equal to the Word of God? And, and it, so you're saying Scripture, of course, is the Word of God um, mm -hmm. in, its, in its written form, at least. But, of course, the Word of God was handed on even initially orally. I mean, of course, the apostles were preaching a, a before they were writing. Um, some of the, and even, and of course, not all the apostles even contributed to the New Testament and things like that. But so you're saying then that, that demonstrates that the New Testament itself, um, is a, um, is a part of tradition because the New Testament itself is, is the word of God that's been handed down to us in writing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so it comes down to us in two forms. So the question of its trustworthiness and actually, you know, as I mentioned before the show, I already have a manuscript that hopefully will become a book within a year or so. It's called mm -hmm. Message Received, and Emmaus Road's going to put it out. And what I do in that book is I show that our grounds for the trustworthiness of the Scripture, especially the Gospels, uses the same kind of methodology that we can use to verify sacred tradition that's not written, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. In other words, um, the copies of the Bible that we have today, how do we know that they reflect the original inspired manuscript? Hmm. Well, to do that, 
uh, it's usually the field of textual criticism where they look at different manuscripts and they compare. And basically they look at the oldest manuscripts, uh, the manuscripts that are most widely attested in various locations and also consensus. Usually a majority of uh, ma manuscripts should reflect the original. And it really is based on this very simple premise that's it's kind of funny. Uh, my friend Rod Bennett pointed this out that Tertullian says that you just don't find people falling in unity in error, right? It isn't mm. like everybody gets something wrong and it's exactly the same error, right? Ah, uh, I see. See, unity and cogency is a mark of truth or authenticity. Mm. When you have diversity, that's usually error. That's innovations, okay? Mm. So when we want to find out whether the text of scripture we have reflects the original autograph, we're looking for that cogency, that unity uh, within the manuscripts that points to an original. Well, if that's true for the written sacred tr tradition in scripture, we could use that same methodology when we're looking at the teachings of the church and how the early church understood scripture. So in other words, we could verify the meaning of scripture through looking at uh, antiquity? Does it go back as far as we can trace it? Is it found in every location? And is it reflected in uh, the consensus or near consensus of the early church? Hmm. And so we can use the same methodology for both. So if, uh, so if you doubt whether unwritten tradition is authentic, guess what? You actually undermine written tradition because it's based on essentially the same method. But I, I could I could see though just like to push back on that a little bit like a, a, okay. a, a Protestant listening a little bit too they might think like okay well I guess if it is f like a teaching of the apostles like even if it's unwritten of course I would I would want to accept that um, but you know I would just assume that like what what they taught is written down in Scripture and Scripture you know is so black and white it's so it's so clear when I'm thinking about tradition especially unwritten traditions. It's, it's, it starts to sound like a game of telephone, maybe, where it's like, okay, well, maybe they handed it on initially well, but if I'm just passing it on orally and I never write it down, how can I really trust that that's actually what the original deposit of, of faith was? So in other words, you know, like scripture seems so, like I can evaluate scripture. It's, it seems so black and white to me. Tradition seems kind of obscure and confusing and, and all, it just tradition maybe just seems like a cop out for whatever the church is teaching. That is yeah. that I don't see in scripture. How might you respond to something like that? Well, yeah, boy, you actually threw a whole bunch of objections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's actually, you know, the transmission of sacred tradition is the exact opposite of the telephone game, right? Because okay. the telephone game is where one person whispers in another person's ear something and they whisper it in the next person and it degrades to the point where the last person's message is mm -hmm. nothing like the original, right? Well, sacred tradition is public. Okay, hmm. it's publicly preached. And if people, let's say, well, here's what I do in the book, uh, Sean, is I say, let's go in a way back machine. Let's pretend we're sitting in a church and John the Apostle is the preacher. Okay. Hmm. okay. And he's preaching on John 6. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And John's saying that this is connected to Christ's real presence in the Eucharist. So what? let's go through the decision making. Do we accept what? John's interpretation of the text uh, is authentic. Well, there's lots of reasons to think so. First, he's an apostle. Second, yeah. he's inspired, right? Third, he wrote the gospel. And fourth, he was there when Jesus said, 
you know, gave these words. And likely if he was unclear on the meaning, he would have asked Jesus, right? Hmm. So let's say after service, we go up to John, we ask him and he says, oh yes, this is what Jesus told us that these words mean. So what could you do to find out whether John is mistaken? Maybe John hmm. isn't having a good day. He's not recollecting right. Well, you could go visit the churches of other apostles, right? And ask them when Jesus said this, did he mean this, right? So you could mm -hmm. verify it through multiple locations and they should all cohere together with a single answer. It should mm -hmm. all be yes or no, right? No disagreements. Well, let's move like a century layer, okay? Now uh, you're in the church of Ignatius of Antioch, okay? okay. Who was a disciple of uh possibly John, but most likely Peter, right? Hmm. So John or Ignatius is preaching John six. He says, this has to do with the Eucharist. How can you verify it? Hmm. Right? How do we know Peter said this was true? Well, you could ask Ignatius, how did you learn? Ignatius could say, Hey, I learned it from John and Peter. Uh, you could ask the people in the congregation who are older than you that actually knew the apostle when he was in Antioch say, Hey, what did he preach? Right. Mm -hmm. And you could go to all the different churches, right? So you could do, again, antiquity, you look back, ubiquity through every location, mm -hmm. and there should be a consensus, right? And you can move back to Irenaeus of Lyon and do the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. he learns it from Polycarp, who learns it from John. And actually, Sean, now, what the real interesting thing is, as you're going through history, your ability to verify information is greater because you have more data points hmm. and also our ability to uh, pinpoint innovations becomes much easier okay hmm. because okay. if someone makes a mistake let's say somebody says i don't believe this has anything to do with the eucharist i think it's all symbolic well that new thought is going to start in that one location it's going to be a minority and it's hmm. going to start sometime after the time of the apostles mm-hmm so then even if that grows, it's still going to be only in one location, only for a short time. It'll always be a minority. It'll never go mm. back to the beginning. And like I said, that's kind of the same methodology we use with scripture when we're looking at manuscripts, because uh, manuscripts disagree with each other. So how do we know where the error is made? Ultimately, it's those three things that help us to pinpoint what it was the original reading. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I like I like the thought too that you said just kind of about uh, the universality of a teaching that's been handed on is part of the markers. One of the markers for that it, that it's you know it's authentic, um, and so and that would be the, that would be the case for scripture as well. So it's kind of like if like looking back to the game of telephone, it, it's like instead of being like some one person whispering in the ear of another person and, and continuing to hand it on, I mean, that would be like the errors. That would be like the heresies that are popping up in one location and they aren't universal and they don't go all the way back. Whereas, you know, maybe another way, maybe a better analogy might be like the game of telephone. If you tell everybody in the whole line, so to speak, what <laughs> yeah, the first right. sentence is, and then you start to hand it on. And of course, if somebody makes a mistake, you have everybody else in the line to say, hey, that's not correct. That's not that's right. not what we started with. And right. so that seems like yeah, and they could always ask questions, too. You know, yeah. if they're not clear. They could clarify it. And yeah, it wouldn't be much of a game, though. But <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a game. But that but I think that's no. But I think it's good to draw that out because that's a good that, analogy, that, yeah. that speaks to the fact that tradition isn't it's not a game like this. It's not just kind of like, hmm, like, you know, I wonder if 
if this is like a, a teaching or not, you know, it's like, no, we've got a real credible, reliable way to evaluate an apostolic um, tradition and maybe to distinguish that from, from a mere human tradition. Um, yeah, and, and it'd be also yeah. reflected not only in the writings, but it would also be reflected in their hymns, the okay. liturgy, church architecture, all this should reflect that same mm. belief, you know, right. so it's like, there's multiple layers of possible, uh, possible verification of sacred tradition. I see. So then, so tradition then, Gary, it's, is it not limited then? I mean, you, you've kind of, some of the examples you've used is almost like tradition is the proper way to interpret scripture. Um, but you've mm -hmm. also, you know, like that's, you just gave an example, like uh, tradition is like, um, it's not the writings of the fathers themselves, but the writings of the church fathers, for example, like are a witness to tradition, or uh, it's not the architecture of the church itself, but that architecture of the church speaks to it. And it's not the, the practices of the church themselves, may, so to speak, but it's those practices actually are witness to the tradition. So it seems like tradition is, is, is broader. You're describing tradition as maybe something broader than just oral teaching that's been handed on from century to century. Yeah, I would say um, sacred tradition is manifested in different okay. ways okay. through theological discourse, through architecture, through liturgy, through hymns. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're right. Them in themselves isn't tradition, but rather they reflect the beliefs mm -hmm. of the first Christians. Okay. So then maybe just this, this, this might be skipping ahead a little bit, but I, I'm just with that. The question is, is coming to my mind, though, too, then. I mean, you gave a little bit of criteria for things we can look to evaluate. But, you know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, on my own, can I can I look at that criteria and be able to determine if something's authentic or not? In other words, how do we how do we know? How can we have certainty um, of what is actually an apostolic tradition we can trust? And maybe what is has a mere human origin that we, you know, we don't have to accept as the word of God. Yeah, yeah. Excellent question, because there's some things that the apostles handed on that aren't necessarily the word of God, you know, like uh, which direction do you face when you worship or something like that. OK. And that brings up this third component. And by the way, if anybody wants a really good explanation, an official explanation, go to the documents of Vatican II. And uh, there's a document called On Revelation. It's called Dei Verbum. And it'll go into much greater depth than we will today. Great. But <clears throat> that you have the Word of God, which comes to us through writing and also instruction. But that's to the community, right? That's to the historic hmm. Christian community, which is a society that has a certain structure to it. So they, the, the community receives the Word of God both in writing and in instruction and it's the responsibility of uh this particular community how it's structured in order to interpret and guard both uh written and unwritten tradition hmm. so in other words the church is the custodian of these things hmm. and therefore it can clarify it can say no this is this is an innovation this non-authentic way in which we've always understood this and it can, uh, you know, dispel error and also clarify things. And that all takes place within this community, which is the church, which we would call the teaching authority of the church. Okay. Okay. And that, so that teaching authority, then they are, 
I mean, they're not a they're not above the Word of God. I mean, as the, as the Catechism right. says, Dave Arabum says, as you reference, but the, that teaching mm-hmm. office of the Church is a, is under, serves the Word of God, faithfully preserving it and handing it on uh, through the centuries. But of course, uh, it was it was Jesus who gave the Church that authority to be able to do that. And so, I guess maybe going back to the idea of Scripture, like the the same reason we can trust maybe the canon of Scripture uh, is also why we can tr- uh, trust apostolic traditions would that be correct to say yeah i think so um okay uh you don't f- i mean the bible wasn't written with an inspired table of contents you know okay it's, <laughs> it's a collection of books and mm. so how do we know which books belong in scripture which ones are actually inspired or not and mm. uh since it's not found explicitly i, I think even implicitly in mm-hmm. scripture uh how do you know and ultimately it comes through uh what was handed on by the apostles to the church. And so, uh, yeah, I think that would be a good example of something that I don't think you really find in the written word of God, but you do find in the sacred tradition. And uh, and it's manifested in that historic community that can trace itself back to the apostles. So um, the church in, well, you, you know, I don't want to get off on the can, and we already talked about that. <laughs> but, you know, in a series of councils, the church says these are the books that have mm. been received and have been preached as scripture, and everything that's not in this collection is human writings. We, hmm. They're just, you know, they might be good and helpful, but they're not inspired. And uh, so, you know, I think this is one of those points where if you reject sacred tradition, you really have a big problem. I mean, sacred tradition that's not written. Hmm. You have a huge problem because how do you know which books belong in your Bible and which ones don't? Uh, that's really interesting. And yeah, we don't have to go like completely into this, but I do think, yeah, if you want to draw that out a bit more, like, you know, for the Protestant listening, I mean, I, you know, I've got Protestant family members and friends, of course, I know who listen to this as well. Um, mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Maybe draw that out a little bit more. Why is that so significant? Like, why, like, especially in, in, like, in light of the doctrine of sola scriptura, uh, you know, that the Bible is the, is the only infallible rule of faith. Why is this issue of canon, the, the issue of the canon, um, like, problematic for maybe some, a Protestant Christian who, who would accept the doctrine of sola scriptura? Yeah, so even if you um, hold to a hard version of sola scriptura, namely, if it isn't in scripture you're rejected or the evangelical approach that scripture is the highest or the norm that sets all norm uh, Mm. for authorities both of them are are devastating because essentially what you're doing is you're making scripture into a supreme court Mm. and we've learned that whoever sits on the court affects how the court rules so it's important that we have all the justices that ought to be sitting on the court. So if you're missing books, that's going to affect your theology in a uh, big way if you're going by Scripture alone. Or if you have books that aren't inspired, but you're treating them as if they're inspired, that can skew your theology as well. Right. So ultimately, you know, it, it's really, I think, the most important question for any soul scriptura person out there or Bible alone person is how do I know with confidence that each and every book in my Bible and only these books are in the inspired mm-hmm. word of God? Because otherwise, I mean, uh, like I said, you could be building a house on a defective foundation. Hmm. That's, yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I think too, it just, I think it demonstrates that 
um, you know, that Protestant Christians are actually accepting, they are accepting tradition like accidentally almost just by obviously <laughs> having re- having reverence for for the Bible because of course as you're yeah. saying like the Bible was handed on to them S- somebody who came before them and compiled that canon together I mean even if you're trusting your your pastor your local pastor or you're trusting your parents or the person who gave you your Bible and said you know this is the word of God like it's an it's infallible it's inerrant like honor this and you know uh, listen to it. Yeah. I mean, you're already accepting uh, a tradition. I would say the difference being, though, as Catholics, we actually have a basis for trusting, um, you know, the the authority of the church to 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 not lead us into error um, with the protection of the Holy Spirit. Whereas a Protestant wouldn't have that same kind of infallible certainty uh, of the authority of their own church. And so there's a bit of a discrepancy there. But I think, yeah, I think that's that's helpful. Thanks for thanks for drawing that out a little bit, Gary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so not only with the canon, but you also have the problem of interpretation, too. Hmm. And, uh, you know, just going to, uh, there's a book, and of course, I can't remember the exact name of hmm. it right now. But uh, the words, this is my body. Uh, some, I think it was about 50 or 60 years after the Protestant Reformation, there was a book that was written. And it's 200 different interpretations of the meaning. This is my body. Wow. So, yeah, so hmm. I mean, it's, you the, the word of God in writing alone, it is sufficient, but it's sufficient if you're part of that original community that has this uh, sacred tradition wow. that can guide you as to what is the proper meaning. Otherwise, if you're just left with even the inspired word alone, even with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. guiding you, like you said, you don't have a- any sure uh, means of knowing whether or not I'm interpreting these words correctly. It's a really good point. It's it demonstrates like how important why we really need. It's one example of why we actually need tradition. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with with people with Protestants where we read the same. We're reading the exact same thing, and we're coming to different interpretations. And as you said, that happens even among you know Christians of different Protestant denominations. They could read the exact same Bible and both claim that this is the only rule of faith. And yet they have different interpretations about, I would argue, essential, some essential things, not just peripheral mm-hmm. things, but also essential things. And if and if you just keep saying, well, this is what the Bible says, and the other person says, well, no, I mean, this is what it means, though. Um, they agree on what it says. You don't agree on what it, on what it means. Um, yeah, and, and they don't agree on what's essential either. And they don't even agree on what's essential. So, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of, yeah, there starts to become a lot of problems. So I think this is one of the things that I love about tradition. And one of the ways I've heard it put before, Gary, and, and that, I, that I like, especially in relation to this, um, this part of the conversation, is, you know, Scripture is the very words of God, but, and tradition is the very voice of God, but it's expressed mm. in different ways, kind of as you described earlier. And that, that can be really helpful if you think about, like, if, you, if you're taught something, you know, in, you know, in your uh, uh, math class, for example, and, and, or you read it in the textbook, and it's, it's delivered to you in one kind of a way. And it might be kind of confusing, and maybe you could figure it out over time, but, but oftentimes if, it just, if it's not told to you in another way, um, you're going to just continue to be confused. So what's good about the teacher's course, that role, and, you know, and even your classmates too, if you're serious about it, is, is people can you know, explain the same thing in different ways. Uh, and, and so, but it's so the same substance is conveyed, but in different ways. And even just hearing things other ways help us to understand them. 
And so I think practically speaking, that's for me, I think that's a cool way to look at tradition is like scripture. Yes, these are the words of God, the wor very words of God. But tradition is the very voice of God containing the exact same substance, um, but manifesting itself in other ways that that actually helps us to understand even the written word. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I wish I ripped it off and put it in my book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, would have put I a think, footnote for you, though. Oh, I think I stole. I think <laughs> I stole that from Jimmy Aiken, honestly. So you yeah, can credit good. him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know, then an objection. Even as we're talking about this, though, I mean, and you know, this is a common objection that comes up. I haven't personally found this objection to be very like strong, but but I hear it again and again as like. Uh, from Protestants as like the strongest rebuttal to sacred tradition. And this is the argument from like Matthew 15, Matthew chapter 15 or Mark chapter 7, um, where Jesus condemns tradition. Um, you know, like in Matthew chapter 15, he says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Um, you know, in, Ma in Mark 7, it says it a little different. You leave the commandment of God and hold fast to the tradition of men. Jesus goes on to say, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So at the surface, it could seem like uh, this sounds exactly what Catholics are trying to hold in tradition. And it seems like Jesus is rebuking that directly. So maybe maybe you could maybe explain a little bit about what's going on in that in, in those passages Gary and, uh, and yeah. respond to that argument. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, well, I think, you know, by defining terms like we did at the beginning of the program, mm. you can see right here that this text simply doesn't apply in our case, mm. because we're not talking about sacred tradition that has the divine origin. We're mm. talking about just regular tradition that has human origin. And in fact, if you look at, uh, for example, in Matthew 15, verse 2, he says, why do your disciples break the uh, tradition of the elders? Okay. Mm. So it isn't like, why do you break the tradition of God? Mm. So th they're not talking about divine tradition. They're talking about human custom. Okay. And in fact, Jesus, as, as you pointed out, Jesus says that this is your tradition, right? Mm. He's not saying this is a divine tradition. And what this tradition is, is an attempt to understand um, uh, the um, uh uh, how to interpret a text in terms of uh, honoring your father and mother and also um, dedicating things to the temple. Okay. So for the, so that's the first thing, okay? The con condemnation isn't against all tradition, mm -hmm. and it okay. certainly isn't sacred tradition, but it's only actually traditions that contradict, human traditions that contradict the word of God, okay? Okay. That's really what's, so it's a very narrow thing. And as Catholics, Sean, I mean, yeah. if uh, we have a human custom or tradition that actually violates the word mm. of God, then the church would be the first to condemn it, right? Mm. Okay. But that's on the level of just the origin comes from human beings. It's a human tradition. Mm. Jesus obviously isn't castigating divine tradition because that's exactly what he's giving in this passage is, you know, he is giving the word of God in this case. So he uh, can't be saying, you know, God, whatever God reveals, you know, you can, you have nullified or something like that, mm. or you shouldn't accept what God reveals. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I have difficulty with this just because it's so weak, you know, it, it right. doesn't condemn all traditions, just human traditions, and it only condemns human traditions insofar as it violates the commandments of God. 
Okay. Yeah, which is something I think all Catholics can sign on to. I, you know, I, I, as I said, I hear this a lot. I mean, even from like really Protestant, really intellectual, really smart Protestant scholars and, and theologians that I actually respect and, and get mm-hmm. a lot from them. You know, one of these guys would be Dr. Jordan Cooper, um, who I really mm-hmm. think he's saying a lot of really great things. I, you know, I, I like a lot about some of the things he's teaching and, and putting out there on YouTube. Um, but I heard him evaluate this passage at one point and his kind of like summation of it because uh, he was using this to respond to the Catholic view of sacred tradition. And his kind of response or summation of it was, see, here's an example of when Scripture and tradition um, are at odds. And his point, actually, he's saying that, no, it's Scripture that has the final say. So Jesus is saying Scripture has the final say, not um, not your tradition. Um, how, how would you respond to, like, that summation of it? Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, so I agree. You know, the Word of God it should be uh, above all human traditions, right? Okay. So uh, if it's written or if it's instruction, you should follow that. You know, the other thing, too, if he wants to say that this is a blanket condemnation of all traditions, then you have a, a inherent contradiction between Matthew 15, where Jesus supposedly does that, and First and Second Thessalonians, where Paul commands us to hold to traditions. Hmm. So, you know, point. what do you do there? <laughs> you know, it's, obviously there, there are traditions that we are to hold on to, and there are some that we're not. So you have to okay. make a distinction, okay? What being handed on, you know, has priority, and ultimately it comes from a divine source. So I, yeah. that's probably how I'd answer it. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I, I like that you kind of just carry it out to its furthest extent, and then you start to see other problems maybe that you don't see in the passage by itself. Yeah, and yeah. I think, too, it speaks to—I think that when I look at this passage, it speaks to what we were just talking about a moment ago. Like, the, the elders, the Pharisees, they are looking uh, at a text of Scripture and having a certain interpretation. Jesus, of course, has the authority to give the true interpretation— um, mm-hmm. But the point is, they can both be looking at the same thing and come to different conclusions. The, I guess the question is, who do we trust? And yeah. I, of course, trust, and I know you do, I mean, uh, as Christians, we want to trust the authority of Jesus. And so yeah. I, I would say, like, like, it's not actually, I mean, it is Scripture, it's the Word of God that does have the final say, but it's actually Jesus' interpretation of Scripture that has the final say. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you had mentioned earlier, of course, that that, that, Jesus' interpretation, his authority, he gave that to the apostles and their successors. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And you can find other places in Scripture as well. Um, hmm. One of my favorites is in, uh, I think it's uh, Second Peter. I could be wrong. I always get First and Second Peter wrong, where Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, hmm. and he says, "We didn't fo- we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you." what occurred to us on that mountain. So he's referring to transfiguration. Apparently some people interpreted uh, that as being purely symbolic, as being a myth, as being non-historical or some, mm. you know, something like that. Yep. And Peter says, no, we weren't following cleverly devised myths. We were there, right? We mm. saw with our eyes, you know, yes. what happened. And we heard with our ears, the voice from the mountain. And then he says that, you know, you do well. And he also says that, uh, that uh, prophecy comes through inspiration, right? So prophets spoke through uh, the Holy Spirit. And so therefore we have the prophetic word that's all re- uh, altogether reliable. In other words, he's also inspired by that same Holy Spirit. 
And so he can speak authoritatively on the meaning of what occurred mm-hmm. on the Mount of Transfiguration, both because he is an eyewitness, but also because he has that prophetic spirit. And that's where he says that no scripture is a matter of personal interpretation, right? In other words, it's really through the magisterium, you know, at that time, the apostles who can authoritatively say what occurs and how things ought to be understood correctly. Mm. And so I, I guess, you know, and I, I feel like I've asked this question, but I, I, I know, like, I've just got some friends who this this has kind of come up specifically in regards to this this topic. And I think you've kind of already touched on, but maybe just to ask it like a little bit more directly. Um, OK, like. How can we like okay two thousand years later though two thousand years removed it would just it just doesn't it just seem likely that you know the, a church led by men are just going to ultimately like fall into error from time to time how can we trust that same apostolic authority that Peter had and maybe his interpretation of of scripture or John's or even Ignatius of Antioch how can we trust that that kind of same true interpretation or true understanding of the Word of God uh, has been preserved this long, this far after that, 2,000 years, let alone by, you know, the Catholic Church. Yeah, well, I think that's absolutely right. If any human church, you know, would indeed make errors and all sorts of things. But you're talking about the Son of God comes to earth, he takes on our human flesh, and he gives the Holy Spirit, and he forms this community and sends them out with the gospel. So this Hmm. is a divinely charged mission. Remember Matthew 28, Jesus says, uh, go therefore and teach all that I've taught, right? Hmm. All the way till the end of time. So this is a divinely commanded tradition or a community that will persist throughout time, that will teach everything and all the things he taught. Uh, Hmm. So right there, even in scripture, we should expect to find a historic community that persists through the centuries, that continuously holds on mm. to uh, the same body of teaching. And mm. so it's a matter of history, you know? Mm. And you're right. I mean, lots of people come up with errors. Lots of people make mistakes. I mean, church history is loaded with Arius's and Nestorians and Gnostics and Docetists, right? But the thing is, you can do your his, you know, you could do the research and you can see where there is this consensus of community that historically mm. tied to the apostles and these breakoff groups that happen in certain locations at certain times. And that's why uh, we identify heresies with the heresiarch, the founder of the heresy. Mm. So Arianism was founded by Arius, right? And Nestorianism by Nestorius. And I might add Lutheranism by Luther and Calvinism by Calvin. It's because at that point in history, in that particular location, there is a deviation, right? And a a kind of tangent. So I always think of like the heresies as kind of like variant readings in manuscripts, Mm -hmm. right? When somebody makes a mistake either accidentally or maybe on purpose, uh, you have a string of variant readings, but you know, you can always tell the variants from, the, the authentic reading, because it's, like I said, it's always smaller and usually starts in one location and it's almost always the minority. Hmm. That's really great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gary. And, and yeah. so, so scripture then and tradition both together compose, uh, the word of God and ought to both be revered as, as such. And, um, and certainly the Catholic church does that, but, um, 
maybe to draw that out a little bit more than what what then is the has been what is the relationship between uh, sacred scripture and uh, sacred tradition um, like in other words are there any traditions that you know we mentioned the canon maybe but are there any other traditions yeah. that um, that the apostles taught or handed on that we wouldn't find in sacred scripture or is everything that's in sacred tradition also in sacred scripture yeah kind of what's the dynamic of those two yeah. uh modes or sources yeah well uh, what I, I i love going to vatican too because it says it all comes from the same divine wellspring and okay. in a certain way comes back together in a certain like harmony or end okay and so uh through our so sacred tradition informs how we understand scripture it brings out the essentials it brings yeah. out how we ought to understand the essentials and sacred tradition also uh, reaffirms, you know, the what we find in sacred tradition. It, they, they both go like a hand in glove. And so uh, to, as to your question, is this two separate deposits or hmm. is the contents essentially the same? And the, from what I understand is that uh, with Vatican II, the, it seems like Vatican II was uh, pointing towards what's called a material sufficiency of scripture. Okay. That everything is there in Scripture, okay? Okay. But it's not necessarily there explicitly um, and forthrightly because hmm. Scripture isn't made like a catechism. It doesn't have the format of questions right. and answers and, and topically divided. Right. So everything may be there. It may be explicit or it could be implicit within the text. Okay. And so what tr sacred tradition kind of does is it highlights certain things that, maybe were just understood by the apostles and, and their original community. They just knew this was revealed. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, so sacred tradition kind of draws that out. So mm -hmm. uh, where if you're just following the written word of God, uh, you'll just blip right over it, never pay any attention to mm -hmm. it. Okay. Yeah, I like that. So they come, they come from the same, I mean, they, in one sense, they come from the same source. I mean, they come from God. They're both divine mm -hmm. in origin. Um, and, and they're not, while well, we'll maybe articulating the Word of God or, 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 yeah, or manifesting the Word of God slightly differently, they're not, uh, they're not completely exclusive. I mean, there's a lot of overlap, like, you know, um, baptism, I mean, might be taught in sacred, well, it is taught in sacred scripture that baptism is necessary for salvation. Um, but of course, the church uh, believed that before that it was written down and it was practicing that before mm -hmm. it was written yeah. down in scripture. So that might be an example, of course, where you'd see it in tradition and in scripture. Um, so there's, it seems to be, you're saying like, there's definitely overlap. They, they speak into one another, which is really cool. I think that's a really mm -hmm. helpful way to look at it. Um, um, so it might be, so you're saying it may be materially sufficient, um, but not necessarily formally sufficient. Tradition still helps, of course, us to understand scripture. Uh, correctly, as the church has always understood it. So with like the canon then, how does the canon fit into that? Because the canon does, as you mentioned, the canon does seem to me like you're, you can't get that from scripture at all. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be like a tradition, at least that's entirely s separate from scripture. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it. Yeah, you know, it's hard to identify because, you know, again, we're talking about the manifestation of sacred tradition comes yeah. in the practice of the church. Right. From even from Judaism, right in the synagogue, the center of synagogal worship was uh, reading the Torah, right, reading the scriptures, 
And when Christianity gets off the floor with Jesus reestablishing the uh, uh, the Passover, making it the new Passover, the Mass, mm. uh, sacred uh, reading of sacred scripture had a special place from the very beginning, just like in Judaism. Mm. And so, obviously, there is a physical, tangible aspect to it. You know, it's like, well, which scrolls or which codices do we read when we worship? Right? Well. Mm. The apostles give us these things. They, that's what the apostles used. So we'll just continue using them. So it's like, it's not directly revealed, but it is kind of like part of the life of the church yeah. that uh, is, is kind of like mapped on. And uh, mm. and it also gives us this data that what's being read as scripture is inspired by God. But I think mm. that, you know, I've racked my brains over this for quite a while. That's <laughs> the only thing I could think of that just doesn't fit into that whole uh, paradigm of sacred written and unwritten tradition. Okay. Is, yeah. And so is there anything else of like, you know, a couple examples maybe I've heard is like, uh, you know, that the, there's no more public revelation and yeah. like, there's no more apostles. Like, would those be examples of things that like most Protestant Christians would accept um, that they might have a tough time making that argument from scripture alone? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there may be some. Um, the only thing is, I mean, we know there must be an answer to those questions, but where do you find the answers to it? Yeah, and, right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, those are good examples. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, this is. I think this has been really helpful, Gary. I mean, is there is there any other thoughts, like anything you just want to like emphasize about this conversation, or emphasize about sacred tradition as a whole, or or, or why you know why we need this as Christians? Yeah. Oh, well, it's, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, if you really want to understand the word of God in its fullness, I mean, you need sacred tradition and you need to be, it needs to be understood within that historic community. Hmm. You know, even at the time of Jesus, you had rabbis and disciples, right? And I love that analogy where you have, uh, you have the textbook and you have the instruction along with all the other students. And, uh, because of that, there's this body of knowledge that you have that you don't get from the text alone. And in a weird way, you know, if you think the Holy Spirit guides you, you almost come up on like private revelation or new revelation, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. how do you know? I mean, there's so many problems with that. If you think the Holy Spirit's guiding you, uh, how much more did the Holy Spirit guide the whole community, right? Yes. Throughout history. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we could go. We could probably have a whole program on the problems of <laughs> the Bible alone with the Holy Spirit alone. Mm, but uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, how do you, like you said, with the divisions within Protestantism, how do you know what's essential and what's not essential? Mm -hmm. You know, sacred tradition gives you that. It can say, it, it can give you that roadmap. Uh, it can give you the form to understand what the Bible teaches. And if you don't have that, essentially. Uh, you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, mm. and come to the text and work it out for yourself. Mm. And that that's just seems so counterintuitive to me that Jesus would expect people to come up with the Trinity with the correct understanding of the incarnation, yes. you know, uh, salvation, sanctification, justification uh, from, mm. you know, uneducated Christians throughout history. Wouldn't it be yes. easier just to have, a teaching authority that was instructed and formed by the apostles that just mm. continued what uh, to hand on what was handed to them. Yes. 
Yeah, and I think you showed that so well, Gary, just kind of through this episode too, of just showing the, uh, this this need for uh, the tradition of the church um, and, 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 you know, and guiding us and leading us into all truth. And I think it is, apart from that tradition, reading the Bible without, apart from the tradition and the magisterium of the church, that we, we actually, people have come to, or passed on the traditions of men, because they are coming to an understanding of Scripture apart from that historic community um, that, of course, yeah. Jesus created. So, yeah. Very good. Thanks so much, Gary. Uh, really appreciate your time. As I said, I'll, I'll include, you know, some links to your websites and books and things in the description below. So if you're watching or listening, please go ahead and check that out. Um, we talked a lot about Dave Verbum today as well. I think as Gary pointed out, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there kind of talking about the nature of the word of God and the relationship between scripture and tradition. So I'll include a link to that as well. And you could you could certainly read through that. Um, I think it would be really beneficial to do that. Um, Gary, yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. It's it's so good to have you. Hopefully, I'll have you back on again soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Sean. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for watching or listening to an episode of the podcast, Cold Brews and Catholic Truths. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I, have, I always have such a great time talking to Gary. Uh, he's a really thoughtful, really kind, really charitable guy and uh, has, has so much good insights uh, into the teaching of the church and, and in this topic in particular. So I'm looking forward, I know, to, uh, to a book, a new book that he'll have coming out hopefully soon uh, in regards to this topic as well. And I'll, I'll be sure to let everybody know when that, when that happens. Um, if you like this episode, if you want to help me to continue to make more episodes like it, uh, I encourage you, first of all, just to give it a thumbs up, like this video. Um, you know, let me know what you thought in the comments below. Uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd uh, love to have, have some more conversation about the role of sacred tradition uh, in the life of the church and in our, our life as Christians. Also, if you want to support the work that I'm doing on, on YouTube and on this podcast financially, uh, please consider becoming a patron and be a partner on mission with me. Uh, and the mission to continue to spread and defend the truth of Catholicism. You could do that for as little as $5 a month over at patreon.com forward slash Sean Hussey, patreon.com forward slash Sean Hussey. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for joining me again today. Have a great day, and God bless you.